long suffering off the list. You know, God, you kind of blew it. Uh, or maybe I wasn't as gentle as I might have been. Or maybe my faith wasn't as strong. And so when I realized I didn't have anything left to teach, I had to get things straight. And I hope maybe you're there at that point too. I asked the Lord, why is this so hard? Why is this so hard to manifest the fruits of the Spirit? Why are we so easily tripped up? Well, Satan, I believe, fights these traits of the Holy Spirit in our lives probably more than anything. If he can stifle our faith, if he can keep us from being gentle or um, uh, good or temperate, um, he's got a victory, doesn't he? And as I was praying, I said, God, why is this so hard? How am I going to teach this lesson? It's so hard. And it came to me, these are divine attributes. And I had to think on that for a little while. These are divine attributes. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of God's presence in your life. And so Satan is going to fight us every inch. And it's going to, remember, we learned that we cannot generate these things of our own resources. We can't do it. It's not in us. And in fact, it's contrary to our flesh. And so Satan knows he has an advantage in this area. And if he can discourage us, as he did me, um, he can make us ineffective. And we would not walk in victory. We would not walk in joy. And we wouldn't be the witness we need to be. So I thought it would be important that I bear my soul with you today and say, hey, this is hard work. It requires work. Remember last week I used the example of a garden and everybody um, romanticizes the garden, but nobody remembers crawling around in the dirt pulling weeds. All right? And remember, I said, this takes work. And it does. It takes a knowledge of the Word of God. It takes a walk with the presence of God. And it requires a reliance upon the promises of God. And so we want to look at those today. And you'll notice in the, uh, the overview of your lesson the Holy Spirit would like to transform you into the image of Christ. Remember, that's what he wants to do. We're to be transformed. And it's through walking with God, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And uh, we're going to look at what this looks like. I, I think there, there, there's some interesting um, images that will come from today's lesson that I think will be helpful for you. But in your lesson aim, it says the fruit of the Spirit represents nine attractive and virtuous qualities that we all desire. We all desire all of these attributes. We all desire them in our lives. And they are attractive to the world. The world takes notice, doesn't it? And the world takes notice of virtue. They may mock virtue, they may mock virtue, but they, they admire it, and they desire it, and they know that you're different, and we've got to be faithful in that respect. Just as we said, we cannot produce this fruit on our own. It requires a display of a Christ-like character with sincerity and humility, 
And you know, as I began, our natural responses are usually wrong. Have you figured that out yet? The first thing that erupts out of our mouth is probably wrong. All right, why is that? Well, because in our flesh resides the power of sin. Our old nature is still here and wants to be recognized, wants to be fed, wants to have the preeminence. And left to our own, we can't produce any of these things that have been uh, given in our lessons uh, last week and this week. Um, but again, reminding ourselves, the title of the lessons is Living Beyond Your Capacity. And so this is what we're going to study this morning. Once again, as we look at the remaining five evidences of the Holy Spirit in our life. And well, the very first um, fruit or part, uh, evidence of fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is gentleness. What do you think of? If I were asked if I asked you to give me what you first think of when you think of gentleness, what comes to your mind? You don't have to say it because I'm not going to let you. No, I'm just saying, no, you don't have to say it. But what comes to mind? Well, I thought of a mother. I look at mothers, and I think mothers are special. You know, we dads sometimes, come on, kid, get on the bus. We got to go, you know. Uh, but mothers don't approach it that way. Mothers are kind, they're gentle, they're loving, they're instructive, uh, they're doing all of these things to mold and nurture their child, and uh, gentleness prevails. It overrides a lot of things that we men might have trouble with, all right? So thank God for mothers. But um, I'm glad God said this is an attribute. It's one of his attributes we're going to see in just a moment, but it's so important. Somebody said, James, I think he said last week, was talking about a tradition at the Thanksgiving table was to say something you're thankful for in a person across from you at the Thanksgiving table. And, he, and it was very cute. And it's saying in some, some tables that might not be a good idea. Um, but what would they think? What would they say? Would they, would they, one of the terms they used to describe you, would it be gentle? I don't know. That would probably be very low on the list, uh, for me anyway. But this is what the Holy Spirit desires to be manifest in our lives. And the Apostle Paul stressed the importance of gentleness there in your book in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. He said that we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth it her children. So he's writing to the believers in Thessalonica, and he's talking about the ministry that he had before those. Remember, who's he reaching? He's reaching the Gentiles. The Jews considered them heathens, of course, obviously. Um, and so here Paul says, but we came in among you. We were gentle as a nurse, and we cherish our, our uh, opportunity to share the gospel with you. Paul was a strong gospel preacher, no doubt, but he was also a compassionate servant. You see his compassion throughout in the way that he lovingly responds to uh, some things that are happening in his life. He had every right uh, to speak harshly sometimes, but he didn't, all right? He didn't do that. And so um, many people have a distorted view of God. They focus only on his wrath. Anytime there is a tragedy, they automatically say, where is God? 
all right? Or uh, they don't want anything to do with God because he's a God of wrath. And they don't see that God is gentle and good and kind. They don't see that. Why? They don't see it in us sometimes. And so this is so important. Yes, God hates sin. Yes, he is going to pour out his wrath on unbelieving men. He, we know he will do that because he did it to Jesus Christ on the cross when he punished him for our sins and the sins of the whole world. So yes, he hates sin. He will uh, pour out his wrath. But you know what? He loves people. How many nurseries across the country have a picture of Jesus carrying a sheep in his arms? How many nurseries? Uh, we all grew up probably seeing that picture on the wall in some nursery somewhere. All right, but the world doesn't see that. The world forgets that. And yet, God loves people. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of his love for people. And, and so I want you to see um, what gentleness is. Gentleness is, is being kind and good. It's being useful and helpful. It's being gentle and sweet. It's being considerate and gracious through all situations and no matter the circumstance. Uh, gentleness isn't hard, being hard or unconcerned or indifferent or too busy or bitter or harsh. Gentleness feels the feelings of others. That requires a relationship, doesn't it? It requires that we understand and feel the feelings that others are feeling. We experience the depth of sympathy and empathy. Um, those who are uh, ex uh, demonstrating this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness suffers with those who suffer and struggles with those who struggle and works with those who work. How many times have you heard somebody say, I wanted to go and be a comfort to somebody, but all I could do was sit with them and cry with them? That's gentleness. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't think your trip was a failure. All right? That's gentleness. And so gentleness struggles with those who struggle, and gentleness works with those who work. My wife will probably tell you I have the shortest fuse for people who won't help themselves. All right? She has to stand on me sometimes. Give them time. Back up. Okay? All right? So, yes, but gentleness works with those who work. Let me tell you about God. God is kind. And I'd like for you to find this verse. It's Luke chapter 6 and verse 35. Sometimes as we study these lessons, words seem to appear in verses that I've read so many times before, and now here they are. I, I, I honestly had not seen them. Luke 6, 35. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. And these are the words that stuck out to me. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. He is kind. Even as Christ was bearing the cross on his way to, to die for our sins, he was kind. To the women that he met along the way, he was kind to them. You remember? And so God is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. 
Have we forgotten what we were before Jesus saved us and made us his own? We, we, can be, we can lose sight of that. We can forget that very quickly. Another verse I'd like for you to see is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. He was showing kindness towards us when Christ died on the cross. We can't lose sight of that. And of course, we are expected to be kind one to another. And I'll just read these verses quickly. Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Ephesians 4, 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Colossians uh, three twelve. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. We'll read some of that again. 2 Peter 1.5, and besides all this, uh, giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness. Uh, we'll, we'll see that verse again as well as we go a little further. Um, but um, 1 Thessalonians, uh, we, did, we read that one, and we, uh, I want you to think about um, four ways that we can display kindness as we are with people. We can, we can show um, kindness by being sensitive, by being sympathetic, by being straightforward and being spontaneous. Let me explain. We already talked a little bit about sensitivity, is seeing things the way other people see them, feeling the feelings that other people feel. And, and so Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 in your book, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, in all probability, we've been where someone else has been, and we understand what they're feeling or what they're facing, and sometimes we don't. We don't we've not had that experience but we can still have empathy and we can still uh, look on the needs and things of others. And of course, we've already talked about sympathy, feeling uh, what others feel and acknowledge those feelings. Romans 12, 15 in your book, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Straightforwardness, speak the truth in love. This is a hard part for a lot of us, isn't it, sometimes? We can probably get the criticisms out, but we can't do it with love. All right, and so that's what Paul is, is emphasizing here. Uh, being straightforward, speak the truth in love. Notice Proverbs 27, verse six. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And you might look at that verse and say, that's a conundrum to me. No, it's not. Friends will speak truth in love. And Paul asked that question, have I become your enemy because I have told you the truth? All right. And so loving straightforwardness and being faithful 
to our friends. And then spontaneity. One of the attributes of Dr. Sumter, I can say it because he's not in here, but uh, one of the attributes that I've always admired of Dr. Sumter, while I'm still processing an event, he's already taken action. He's already there. He's already done something. And I just marvel. I've told him many, many times. I don't know how you react so quickly. But it is a reflexive action for Dr. Sumter to be doing something the instant it's needed, and, or even before it's needed. And uh, that's a high standard to live up to. But that's what Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 is talking about. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And gentleness is one of the qualities that the world admires and wishes they could um, emulate as well. Secondly, the Holy Spirit produces goodness. Do you know that in every relationship, we often sometimes joke about between the relationship between husbands and wives and stuff like that because we've, we, we've all done it, all right? At some point or another, we've offended our mate and we didn't mean to, uh, and now we have to take care of it. Or one mate compensates for the other because that's the way we are, all right? Well, there are those kind of toxins and destructive capacity in just about any relationship. And so it requires control. Um, and it, it's a, a desire for goodness. This is a verse we used uh, a number of times, Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, and in particularly verse 9. Uh, but verse 8, for ye were sometimes darkness, now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. Walk as children of light in all goodness, in righteousness, and in truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And um, the spirit-filled Christian naturally desires to do good for others. Um, goodness is full of virtue. That's a word we don't use very often anymore. Uh, but goodness is, is uh, being full of virtue, full of excellence, kindness and helpfulness peace and consideration. It means that a person is full of good and he's able to do good, all right? Um, being good is what we are on the inside. Doing good is what we do for others. And so a, a person that manifests goodness stands up and lives for what's right and what's good and what's just. It means that uh, goodness involves discipline and rebuke sometimes. We talked about that last week correction and instruction, as well as love and care and peace and conciliation. Goodness steps forward and does what it can to stop and control evil. And uh, that's important. We don't want to be a, a, a bystander when evil is rampant. We've got to be involved and we've got to step up. And thank God for our law enforcement officers who do that every day and uh, thank the Lord for their faithfulness. But I want to remind you that God is full of goodness. And I'll just read these verses for you. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the works of faith and power. God is so desirous to bestow upon us all 
the fruits of his good pleasure upon us. And uh, that's the goodness of God. Uh, Psalm 33 and verse 5, he loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Sometimes it's important, you know, my doctors and my therapists and all talk about you got to walk, you got to get out and walk. Well, one of the benefits of that, and sometimes just getting out and sitting sometimes, is to just stop and meditate on what God has created for us. To see, you know, I watch a, a squirrel run across the yard and get up on a tree and notice that his coat makes him almost invisible on the trunk of the tree. And, uh, and then I notice when they stand up, maybe their chest is a lighter color, they stand up, it's almost invisible in front of the, the grass, it's browning right now. Uh, but I, I watch things in nature and I look at the complexity of nature and I look at the thought that went into all the things that we enjoy. Have you ever just picked up a piece of fruit and just looked at it and said, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. And God does it over and over and over again. And it's all under his control and it's all part of his goodness. And so the psalmist said in Psalm 34 and verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's not forget the world sees God first probably as a God of wrath. All right. But the psalmist said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We're salt. We're to create that thirst and that hunger uh, for those who don't know that God is a loving God. And we certainly want them to meet him as a loving God and a loving Savior. And so we want to do that. We want to manifest that in our lives. And believers are to be full of goodness. Romans 15, 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness. What an encouragement. And Ephesians 3.19, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And so there in your book, you have a verse, Galatians 6.10, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, Having your conversation. Who can give me a synonym for conversation right here? Lifestyle. Lifestyle, behavior. Okay? You ready? Thank you. Appreciate the cooperation uh, and the right answer. All right. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And... We have to understand that it takes time to bear fruit sometimes, but our consistent, faithful goodness will make the unsaved thirsty and hungry and draw them to the truth. Third here, the Holy Spirit produces faith. And you know, there is a short supply of faith and faithfulness in our world today. If you follow the uh, stock market, and sorts of th uh, things that are going on and, and the volatility in the market. And they tell, you know, they tell you, chill out, look at the long term, okay? But that's not the way the news reports it. The news reports it, oh my gosh, it's over here now. Oh, it can't be this good, you know? Uh, and so we have all this going on. And, and uh, 
the world just doesn't have any faith in anything other than perhaps themselves. You remember David Livingston that was a pioneer missionary that uh, opened uh, Africa to the gospel. It's reported that he walked more than 29,000 miles seeking to open the interior of the continent of Africa to the gospel. And uh, you may remember, what's the famous quote? Anybody remember the famous quote? Dr. Livingston, I presume, you remember that? Oh yes, okay. That was Sir Henry Morton Stanley. He was a Welsh journalist and an explorer himself, and he trudged all over Africa trying to find uh, David Livingston, and eventually he did find him. And those were his uh, famous words, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Well, a missionary society wrote to Dr. Uh, uh, David Livingston and said, have you found a good road um, uh, so that we could send other men to join you? We want to send good men to you. So is there a road to get to you so we can send others there? You know what David Livingston wrote back? He said, I don't want them. I want men that don't need a good road. They just have the gospel and they have a burden to share it. And so no, don't send them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. And so commitment is really a rarity these days, isn't it? Commitment in any area, um, in, in almost any circumstance, it's very rare. And um, so it, it should not be rare among us. Perseverance is almost non-existence. If something is too hard, we give up. Um, and we, we see that sometimes in young people, and we think, you can't give up. It's not that hard. You know, let me help you again. Let's rethink this. We don't want our children to grow up thinking, oh, well, what's the use? I don't need it. I can do something else. Uh, God wants us to be committed and to persevere. By nature, we're going to choose the path of least resistance. That's the way we do it. That's the way I do it. All right? Uh, we choose a path that promises immediate uh, gratification. But God says, choose the right path, and I will give you the strength that will increase your faith and persist, help you to persist in faithfulness. And that path is a path of no retreat. It's a path of greatest reward. And then um, faith, uh, as I've already mentioned, means to be faithful, trustworthy, loyal, steadfast in devotion and allegiance. It means to be conscious, uh, 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 constant and staunch and enduring. Uh, a faithful man believes God and knows that God will work all things out for good. Therefore, he casts himself upon God and, and becomes faithful to God because he knows God is a faithful God. Faithfulness doesn't doubt God. It doesn't doubt God's salvation. It doesn't uh, doubt God's provision. It doesn't doubt God's promises. It doesn't doubt God's strength. God's there and his word is true. Faithfulness does not doubt God. Yes, doubt gets into the best of lives. Think of John the Baptist there in the prison. Boy, he boldly proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And now he's in prison. And Jesus sends his disciples to encourage him there. And what does he say as he looks out through the windows of the, of the jail? Ask Jesus if he is the Messiah or if we should look for another. And Jesus sent words of encouragement, didn't he? He said, go tell John. 
and he gave him all these things that he is doing and will do. And uh, as a result, John died a faithful man. Faithfulness doesn't begin with God and then back away and give up. That's usually us backing away, not being as faithful, and eventually we're not faithful anymore. Um, and we don't allow the lust of the flesh to draw us away from a faithful walk with God. But let me give you these characteristics. Remember, um, my revelation was that the, the fruit of the Spirit are attributes of God. Well, God is faithful, and there are so many verses about that. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Peter 4.19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. When he made us, he made us dependent upon him. And we know that he is a faithful creator, but Satan will discourage us every opportunity that he gets. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. 1 Kings 8, 56. Blessed be the Lord that giveth that has given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all of his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. And then there's a psalm that we sing often and uh, it's in Psalm 89 and verse 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known what? thy faithfulness unto all generations. God is faithful. And so we are expected to be faithful. Jesus encouraged faithfulness as well. Luke 19, 17, he said, Well done, thou good servant. Because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. God puts a high premium on faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Hebrews 3.5, uh, as we're learning about the faithfulness of God, and Moses verily was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken, um, uh, spoken, I lost my play, after. Uh, when yielding to the Holy Spirit, we grow in faith. We should desire to grow in faith. That ought to be a, a measuring stick that we back up to. You know, when you were growing up, there was a place where there was some marks on the wall, and they put a line there and put your name on it and the date. We should be able to do that with our faith, shouldn't we? We should be able to turn around and say, oh, I'm, I'm taller today than I was yesterday. All right? We need to walk with faith, uh, faith, and we have to persist with faithfulness and not let the devil discourage us. Your faithfulness as a Christian is of much more value to God than your talents, your abilities, and your skills. That's what God puts a premium on, faithfulness. God knows he can depend on you. God knows you'll be faithful in giving and going and praying and doing. God loves that. It doesn't matter if you can't speak well. It doesn't matter if you don't have proper grammar. 
It doesn't matter if you can't dress well. But if you can be faithful to God, God honors faithfulness. Next, we come to meekness, gentleness, goodness, faith, and then meekness. And Jesus prioritized the meekness, uh, prioritized meekness. There on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And once again, we think, how can that be? How can the meek inherit the earth? Well, you'll understand in a moment. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29 Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. In his word, God often describes believers as sheep. And honestly, sheep are probably uh, the dumbest and the neediest and the most dependent animals in the world. Have you ever heard of a sports team called the Mighty Mighty Sheep? No, we laugh, all right? The mighty, mighty sheep. No, the natural man is not discovering how to be more meek. He's bent on being more assertive. Uh, he's out for self-promotion, self-gratification, uh, self-obsession. Think about some of the tabloids, the magazines that you see out there today. Well, let me just give you a few names, like Self or Glamour or Vanity Fair, and you don't see any magazines that say meekness. You don't see any of those. Those aren't selling. All right, well, the natural man is opposed to the virtues of humility and meekness. And we, may, our, we think about our life as being all about my rights, all about my image, all of my, uh, uh, I'm always looking out for number one, numero uno, all right? It's all about me. Yet the Holy Spirit says meekness is a desired trait. Meekness is a desired trait. It's defined as being submissive, having a teachable spirit, and um, it's, it's being gentle and tender and humble and mild and considerate, but strongly so. All right? Meekness has the strength to control and discipline, and it does it at the right time. Meekness has a humble state of mind. It's not self first, it's God first, others first, all right? So meekness has a humble state of mind. The meek person simply loves people, loves peace, and he's there regardless of their status or their circumstances in life, he's there. Meekness has a strong state of mind. Uh, it's not a weak mind that ignores and neglects evil. Remember, we talked about goodness is there to stand up against evil. Uh, uh, the meek it has a strong mind uh, that stands up against wrongdoing, abuse, and suffering. Meekness has strong self-control. The meek person controls his spirit and his mind. Uh, he does not give away to ill temper or retaliation or overindulgence or um, uh, taking license. Uh, the meek person dies to self. Uh, he dies to what his flesh would want him to do, and he does the right thing, which is exactly what God wants you to do, isn't it? A meek man walks in, in a humble, tender, but strong state of mind. He denies himself, giving utmost consideration to others. He shows control and righteous anger against injustice and evil, and a meek man forgets and lives 
uh, for lo uh, 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 lives for others because of what Christ has done for him. All right, I told you these are attributes of God. So we learn from Galatians 5, 23 that God is meek. Jesus was meek. I've already read Matthew eleven twenty nine, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and believers are to be meek. And once again, we have Paul speaking in Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech ye that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with suffering, uh, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then 1 Peter 3.4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which in the sight of God is of great price. Well, meekness is defined as being submissive and humble in spirit, having a teachable spirit that, uh, and God reveals himself um, through this spirit of meekness. Consider the admonitions in the word of God that you have there in your book, First Tim or 2 Timothy 2.25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Titus 3.2, to speak evil to no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And James 1.21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. And then James 3.13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you, let him show out a good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. You want to appear wise to the world? Pursue we a meekness in your life. People fail to understand what meekness is. Meekness is actually strength under control. And there is no greater example than Jesus Christ. He's the perfect example of meekness. Yet he has all power. He humbled himself. He is almighty God, and yet he laid down and willingly allowed men to drive spikes through his hands and feet and abuse him as, he, as they did, and he died in ignominy. It was just a, an, a horrible thing because God was pouring his, ju his judgment out upon Jesus Christ for the sins that we committed. And you want to see the ultimate picture of meekness? It's on the cross. Don't lose sight of that fact. Don't diminish meekness because that's the standard. Almighty God submitted to the needs of our hearts. And so meekness is strength when you could fight back. Strength is the ability to handle hurt without overreacting. I've got to look at the quote from A.W. Tozer. Anything you can find to read by A.W. Tozer is worthwhile. He's very delightful to read. Um, but notice this quote. The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his mortal, uh, moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God declared him to be, but paradoxically, he knows at the same time 
that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. And uh, wonderful, wonderful. I need to keep moving on. Temperance, once again, is self-control. It's Holy Spirit control. And the believer is expected to proclaim self-control before the lost. Uh, I want to take time to read. This is Acts 24, 25. Paul is witnessing to Felix. And I want you to realize what he's saying. And as he reasoned of righteousness, of temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and said, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Temperance caused him to tremble. God expects temperance? Yes, he does. And the believer is strenuously to exercise him uh, self-control as an athlete controls himself. 1 Corinthians 9.25, As every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Uh, the believer is to grow in self-control. We already read that. And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. We're to be adding self-control. And the aged. They didn't have to bring this verse up, did they? Yeah. Titus chapter 2 and verse 2. That the aged men be sober or vigilant, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The men in this room, we have a great responsibility, and one of those is to manifest temperance in our lives before young men as we, as we set an example before them. Uh, there's a good illustration here. Billy Sunday uh, told of a lady who came to him and rationalized her angry outburst. She said, there's nothing wrong with me losing my temper, and, and uh, <clears throat> um, I just blow up, and then it's all over. And he said, well, so does a shotgun, but look at the damage it leaves behind. All right? No, you can't do that. Temperance is self-control. When we yield to the Holy Spirit's power, temperance will show up in our lives, in our speech, in our life, in our minds. And so as we draw a conclusion from uh, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, we understand that the motive of the Holy Spirit is to make us Christ-like, to manifest those attributes of God. How many of you have heard the statement, um, like father, like son? We've all heard of that. Well, let's just draw on that as an illustration this morning. Even so, in the Christian life, the Holy Spirit would like to transform you into the image of Christ. When you get together as a family and you see children, grandchildren, and you say, oh, they behave just like their grandfather, or they walk just like that. And sometimes around my house, it's hard to tell who is talking, uh, all right, because everybody's voices and in voice inflections kind of begin to sound the same. And, and so um, maybe facial gestures, maybe a sense of humor. Uh, it's fun, all right? But let's take a look at it from the aspect of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be awesome if people who knew you were able to quickly discern the qualities in your life as qualities that reflect the life of Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be great to hear, hey, you're a lot like your father. 